morning, it's time we begin our time of worship. I invite you to stand as we sing together and let the redeemed praise medley. see if that mic works better when I turn it on. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. We appreciate so much for taking the time and the opportunity to come and worship Almighty God with us together as the body of Christ. If you're a guest today, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to take the guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out, drop it in the offering box when you pass at each of the exits. That would be so helpful to us. And this morning, we're looking forward to... Uh, to the presence of God being in this place. The power of the Holy Spirit is in each one of us, as we've sung about. The idea, the thrust of us coming together as the body of Christ, having Christ as our common bond, and the Holy Spirit empowering us as the body of Christ, means that we ought to be excited. We ought to be happy, we ought to be charged, ready, listening, and ready to go and accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. So, I hope through the course of this service, as you praise God, you'll also be mindful, listening to what he wants you to do this coming week in the realm of ministry. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come together. This is a day that you have made. I pray we will rejoice and be glad in it, and we will listen to the power of your Spirit. Your Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers. I pray, God, that that relationship, our relationship with him, 
will be something that goes to a different level today as we rely upon him. So God, the words that we sing today, your word, it's all in a row of praise to you. And we, as your body, look forward to being equipped, encouraged, inspired, and challenged to accomplish the desire of your heart as we go about your business throughout this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
wonderful to have another avenue, another <laughs> method of praising God. Thank you, guys. Just when I need him most, Jesus is near, followed by a little chorus that's simply entitled Cares Chorus. I cast all my cares upon you, I lay all of my burdens down at your feet, and any time I don't know what to do, I cast all my cares on you. We've all been there, haven't we?
blessings that you shower down upon us each and every day. We're thankful for this beautiful Sabbath day that you brought us here, allowing us to worship you, to gather and refresh, Lord, and remember all that you have given to us. Father, I ask that you be with those that couldn't be here today, those that are hurting. We just ask your blessings upon them. But we're so grateful for the men, <clears throat> excuse me, that stepped forward today, um, worshipped you in song with their hidden talents. Lord, what a wonderful experience that was. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, I ask that you would be with our chaotic world. We're in need of a spiritual awakening. And I just ask, Lord, that you would just light a fire in each one of us that may ignite the world and bring about that spiritual awakening that we are so needed for. Father, now I ask that you prepare us, calm our souls, quiet our minds, the message that Dr. Kennedy has received from you, that it will speak to our hearts, Lord, from your heart to ours. May we understand you better, and just be just so grateful for the love that you have for us. We love you dearly. We ask all of this in Jesus' holy name, in accordance with your perfect will. Amen. Thank you. 
Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 14, verses 11 through 24, so please follow along on the screen. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to feed the pig to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We are blessed today by this reading of God's word.
Jesus tells a story that has become the most famous short story that was ever spoken. It's a story about a prodigal son, a tale of a, of a man, young man, who left home one day searching for something. And he came back a different day to find it. This young man was out looking for utopia. And he ended up in a pig pen. The Bible says that he came to himself. He realized what was happening around him. And he made the decision that he needed to go back home. In his mind, he was going to go back home not as a son, but as a servant. This young man who came to his senses hadn't been in his senses for a while. And I believe that all he found in his searching elsewhere was emptiness and guilt. But I think that he is a pattern for sons and daughters of God. The children of God. 
to know how to turn around and to come back to him. Dr. J. Vernon McGee once asked, do you know what the difference between the son in the pig pen and the pig is? He said the difference is that no pig has ever said to himself, I will arise and go to my father. You see, God has given us that ability. We are created in his image. And when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, he stamped that image upon us through the power of his Spirit who lives inside of us. We are once and forever his child. No matter how our life goes, decisions that we make with a genuine decision, we are still his child. Only sons and daughters can say that. And that's why there will be no condemnation. That's why there will be no rejection of God, of his children. All believers, even the prodigals, are his children, not his enemies. As a child of God, I think that's powerful. Last week we talked about sin's judgment. Today I want to talk about, yes, you can come home again. I think there are some actions that we have to take to be able to come back home again. One, I think that we have to face ourselves. First, you have to face yourself. That's exactly what the son did. You know, no longer could the prodigal son escape life's hard truth in the glaring lights and the blaring sound of the wild living that he was in. Now he had to face himself and said, what in the world am I doing here? The scripture says that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. <coughs> I will set out and I will go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men or servants. And so he got up and went to his father. Some people feel guilty when they should not feel guilty. But most of us feel guilty because we are guilty. And I think the way back to peace of mind, which comes only in the Father's presence in our lives, begins by admitting our sinfulness and our disobedience. We have to face ourselves. <coughs> I've heard of those who make light of God and God's people when they say, well, at least I don't go to church and pretend something that I'm not. A hypocrite. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that. Almost with a, a, a proud thing, well at least I, I don't do that. Uh, I heard about a, a man who was complaining about how much time his, his family spent in front of the television. He said, the kids are always watching cartoons and never doing their homework. And honey, you're, you're watching soap operas and things aren't getting done around here. And I tell you what, I have a solution. As soon as baseball season's over, I'm going to unplug the TV. <laughs> That's a hypocrite. When they say, at least I don't go to church, 
and pretend that I'm something that I'm not, I'm no hypocrite. Exactly the opposite is true. You see, those in God's kingdom are always admitted sinners. We come face to face with the fact that we have disobeyed God and that we're sinners and we cannot save ourselves. We know we're not perfect. We strive to come here because we want to worship God because we understand the grace that he's given us. But we don't come here because we think we're perfect or better than anyone else. We don't come to church to play a part because we know what our weaknesses are. We also know that we need God's grace and his forgiveness. And I hope that from time to time that you spend real time understanding God's grace and forgiveness and not just say it or not just take it in, the, in your mind, but you understand the full extent of God's grace, something we never deserved but was given to us. And forgiveness, the eradication of our sins that we ourselves did. We also know that we need the fellowship and we need the acceptance of other sinners who have been saved by grace. We come together within the body of Christ to do that. We need that fellowship. And we need to be able to look at each other and understand who we really are. The first step is always facing yourself. I think the real hypocrites are those who know they need the saving grace of God, yet pretend that they do not. King David knew. He knew his sin. He says in Psalm 51, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. I know my transgressions. David was a child of the king. But he knew his sin was always before him. Peter knew. Peter, when Jesus was on trial, he finally said to a person that said, you're, you're one of them, aren't you? In Luke chapter 22, 60 through 62, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will, be disown, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept. Why did he go outside and weep? Because he knew. He knew he was a sinner. He was a child of God. But he knew. You see, we know that we're sinners. But we've got to face ourselves. We've got to face where we are. Second, not only must you face yourself, you also must accept yourself. You know, when you, uh, when you face up to guilt in your life, and you say, this is what I've done, so what happens at that point? What do you do? So you face it, but you've got to take another step. Otherwise, it's just still going to eat you up. And I think there's four things that you could do. Number one, you could destroy yourself. It's exactly what Judas did. Somewhat the same scenario as, as Peter. In Matthew 27, 4, Judas said, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And then the scripture says he went out and hanged himself. 
Suicide is not the only way to destroy yourself, but it's certainly one way. Some do it gradually through alcohol, through narcotics, through drugs. Or some people spend their waking hours belittling themselves, punishing themselves in so many creative ways because they can't figure out how to misplace, move this guilt out of the way. If you don't handle your guilt by destroying yourself, then you might take another approach, and that is deciding to destroy others. Instead of belittling yourself, you could belittle your family members, your, your friends, people that you hang around with. You could do that through all kinds of abuse that you might throw on them, or demeaning words, or uncontrollable anger. You say, I might be guilty, but so is everybody else. And so you make your life's goal to search out and to expose the wrong in others, which we clearly say we are wrong. We are, every one of us, are failed creatures. And if you can't find a wrong in someone, then you assume it and share it. The gossiper is nothing more than a small person who wants to make sure that everyone else is just as small. One author stated, the difference between a gossip and a concerned friend is like the difference between a butcher and a surgeon. They both cut, but for different reasons. <coughs> I read a story about a young man during the Middle Ages who went to a monk, and he said to the monk, I, I've sinned about telling a slanderous statement or statements about somebody. He said, what in the world should I do? And so the monk said, uh, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a feather on every doorstep in town. And so he went and put a, a feather at every doorstep in town. And he came back to the monk and was wondering if there was anything else that he could do. And the monk said, well, what I'd like for you to do, <coughs> like you to do is go and pick up every one of those feathers. The man said, that's impossible. By now the wind will have blown them everywhere. And the monk said this, so has your slanderous word become impossible to retrieve. A person might destroy themselves because of their guilt. Or because of their guilt, they might try to destroy somebody else through things that should never be done. There's a third way as well, and that is to quit. You got your guilt, and so you just drop out. You didn't want to destroy somebody else. You don't want to destroy yourself. But you don't want to change yourself either or ask for help. So you just quit. The best way to handle your guilt is to just accept yourself. To face you, yourself and the guilt that you have. And to come to grips that this is the person that I am. It is important for us to take a good honest look at ourselves to say, this is what I am. These are my limitations. But I can start right here. It's an acknowledgement. Noah in the play Green Pastures said, I ain't much, but I'm all I got. We've got to get to that place where we realize this, this is who I am. I don't need to pretend. I don't need to dismiss it. The guilt's here. I know this is my weakness in life. As a child of God, I know this, 
I've got to do something else. I've got to accept myself and say, God, now I want you to take me as I am and to make me what you want to be, want me to be. That's the point in time when we can move forward. We can head on into the future. Another action that is very important after we face ourselves and accept ourselves is that we need to be responsible for yourself. Every now and, and again, preachers will hear um, people say, well, I haven't been to church in months and nobody has missed me. And I'll tell you, that does happen. It's true that the church is responsible for ministering to the family of faith. I would never try to dodge that responsibility. It is a critical ministry and component of the, of the, the ministry of every single church. It's to strive to come by side and minister to the body of Christ. But I also want to tell you that the members are responsible too. Personal responsibility is vital and it's expected by Almighty God. As a body of Christ, we do the best we can to strive to minister. And if we're not doing our best, we need to do better. But as individual believers, as members of the body of Christ, part of the flock of Christ, we've got to take on our responsibility, move anything that is hindering us out of the way. Whether it's a, a situation or an obstacle or a person, whatever it is, we've got to move it out of the way and say, I've got to be where God wants me to. The great preacher in the mid-18th century, Jonathan Edwards, expressed this in his two resolutions that he wrote. He said, Be it resolved first that I will strive to live at my highest and best for God, and resolve second that I will strive to do so whether anybody else does or not. So help me God. There are a lot of other resolutions that he embraced as well. But these two, I think, are very important about personal responsibility. Sometimes we just tend to blame others, and so it's like giving us a free ride. The reality is, before God, he wants us to face ourselves, he wants us to accept ourselves, but he wants us to take on the responsibility. When he, he comes to, uh, to someone like the king we talked about last week, Jehoiakim, he said, you are responsible. You're the one who did evil for 11 years. You've got to take responsibility for that. Each one of us have to do the same thing. The prodigal son did. He was out doing his wild living, but he came to a place where he realized his own personal responsibility. His life would have never changed, never changed if he had not faced the fact that he was responsible. When we face our sins, our guilt, and we accept who we are and know that God wants that fellowship with us to be intimate, and we've got to say, I'm the one responsible. It's not the pig farmer who didn't offer me anything. It wasn't all of those friends that I got when I had money. Now they're gone. It wasn't my father who who's been walking the fence line ever since I left, waiting for me to come home. It's me. And when the son realized that, it changed. 
He didn't sit there in the mud. He didn't wait for something to happen. He said, according to Luke 15, 18, I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned. Do you see any other excuse in there? No. I have sinned. The responsibility combines dignity and the danger of decision. The Father loves us, but He's not going to force His will upon us. He's not going to back us in a corner and say, listen, you, you better do this. He's going to give us the choice, the free will that He gave us when we first took our breath. So the scriptural invitation is always an appeal to be responsible for our actions. To squarely look at ourselves in the mirror, okay, here's my part in this. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a powerful invitation. It's an invitation that Jesus gives. He says, you come to me. So he's offering this invitation to us. Every one of us who have the burden of guilt upon us. Those of us who are, are weak, we've sinned. We haven't lived a perfect life. We're not a hypocrite. But we do seek what God desires. And so he gives this invitation. I, I love verse 3 of the hymn, I Will Arise and Go to Jesus. It says, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. I will arise and go to Jesus, and he will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. I will arise. That's exactly what the prodigal son did. That word rest that he speaks of is rest for a weary life. And it's right there in him. But only if you come with confession and repentance. You'll never receive that rest that he's talking about if you don't come with a confession that, God, here's what I've done. I've come to my senses. And secondly, repentance. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to be free of this guilt. I want to be free before you, God. To believers... John in 1 John 1, 9 said, If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. It's God that does that. He offers the invitation to come to the rest, but you just have to confess and repent. You have to come to him. And then he says he's faithful. He will purify you. He will forgive you. That's because you're his child. He loves you. He promises forgiveness. And let me tell you, his arms are always, always open. He says, dear children, yes, you can come back. I don't know about you, but I think that's exciting. You know, you can always come back. We've made it a, uh, a policy, Debbie and I have, that if our kids ever run into difficulty or trouble, 
they are always able to come back to our house. Not forever. <laughs> but we want them to know that they do not ever have to stay in a situation where they're not comfortable, where they run into difficulty. Yes, you can come back. That's what the Father says. And that's what he's trying to get across here. He wants us to know that we can come back home again. The Word of God is filled with case histories of those who've come back. And you know them well. You see, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to begin again. Think with me about some of those who did come back. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jacob. You remember, conniving and cheat Day, uh, Jacob. His very name meant trickster or cheater. But after his wrestling with a messenger from God, everything changed. And they changed his name. Genesis thirty-two twenty-eight said, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. I think that is such a powerful statement. Because, you know, when we're kind of doing our own thing, we are in the midst of a struggle with God and probably some humans. And what he wants us to do is to overcome. Jacob did. David, we spoke of him earlier, is a great king. He was, he was a mighty monarch. He was loved by God, adored by the people of the kingdom. He served as a spiritual as well as the governmental leader in the nation. However, David shocked the kingdom with his dual sin of adultery and, in essence, murder. But we see his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. Verse 1, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. I don't know if you've ever spent much time in verse 1, but here's David, mighty. God selected him to be the king, anointed him, and he disappointed God. He disappointed the people. And so he comes and he asks for mercy. He went to the only place that mercy abounds. And that is the Father. You can't find it anywhere else. The son didn't find it in the fields feeding swine. He found it with the father. He said, have mercy on me, O God. Now listen, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, such great qualities of God, his unfailing love for children who fail him, his great compassion, he's compassionate for those of us who fail him. Later, God said of David, after all of this, him whom my soul loveth. Wow. It is great to be a child of God. And consider Simon Peter. We've spoken about Luke chapter 22, 62, 62. Here is this impetuous, 
apostle who not only denied Jesus, but cursed his name. When Jesus looked at him, the scripture says that Peter then remembered what Jesus had said. I don't know if he wasn't paying attention before or not. <laughs> but all of a sudden, with the events of the day, he remembered. And the scripture says he was brokenhearted. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You go on down the way in John, you find that Jesus, Jesus took care of Peter. Fellowship was there. And Peter went on to become one of the greatest preachers in the early church. In fact, he was the one who the Holy Spirit spoke through at Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved that day. Boy, isn't that quite a change? Here you, you, uh, you say you don't know Jesus, you curse his name, and, and it's not too far down the line that all of a sudden God's using you and 3,000 people come to know Christ. Listen, God can use you when you come back to Him. Because he's, you're your, His child. <coughs> Here this classic tale of the prodigal son exposes God's heart, exposes God's love, and exposes God's desire to receive you in good standing with full acceptance. Good standing with full acceptance. In other words, when you come back to Him, Everything that you've done is gone. Just as if it never happened. Gone. Erased. Eradicated. What other words could we use to describe clean slate? Because you're his child. You've come back to him. Let me tell you, this can be your story, the story of the prodigal son. You, you can arise and go to the Father. You can arise and go to the Father, and, and you can say to him this morning, Father, I have sinned, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son or your daughter. And you can hear the Father say, Listen, let's celebrate for this, my child was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. The scripture says, so they began to celebrate. It is a celebration when we can come back. And yes, yes, the whole intent of this passage is you can come back again. Face yourself. Accept who you are. Be responsible for yourself and come back to him with repentance, confession, and receive what we have talked about today, every one of these individuals, because you are a child of God. The question is, will you? Father, as we move into the time of our invitation this morning, 
we simply ask you a question. And you answer, yes. Yes, you can come back. And God, I don't know where each and every person in this worship center or online is today. But I know that there aren't hypocrites here. Because we know that we're sinners. We know that we're guilty, we're weak. But we also know that you're strong. We also know that you're merciful. We also know that you have unfailing love and forgiveness and grace. And you are great with compassion. And I pray this morning that we will face ourselves and we will accept ourselves. We will take on responsibility that this is what I've done. But we'll come to you and say, God, please forgive me. Take this guilt away. Help me through the empowerment of your spirit to live the way you want me to do. And we're all going to celebrate it. Because when we're right with you, dear God, we're right. And so in this invitation, help each one of us to make the decision that we need to, privately or publicly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me and let's sing the invitation as God leads you to rededicate your life, to give your life to Christ, to come be a part of this fellowship. You come if you would. be seated if you would for just a moment and I tell you what I I want to thank the guys who rang the bells today they did <laughs> such a great job I would like to say that we didn't do them without any colors but that would be incorrect we, we appreciate Nancy teaching us and I know the taught a, a ladies class of vacation Bible school this past week so many things if you were not able to be here that you missed but there will be one next year uh, and when you leave today, watch the watch the pictures because they're all up there. I've never seen so much fun, so many smiles in my life and laughter. Uh, the 40-some-odd that were there uh, daily, was it just was a great time. 
So, uh, Nancy, thank you for uh, not only the handbells, but also uh, for leading us through uh, all of our Vacation Bible School and all the planning. She did a great job. Great job. One other quick thing, and then I'll turn it over to Nancy. Um, I was reminded that uh, in Arizona, our primaries are August 2nd. I just want to encourage you as Christian citizens to make sure you do your research, be praying about all these candidates, because if you've seen the signs, they're everywhere. And most of us don't know who they are. Deb and I spent a pretty good amount of time yesterday, I think it was Saturday, kind of talking through all these different things and, and issues and whatnot. So please, take the opportunity and uh, make sure your, your voice is heard, okay? I want to add my thanks to all of you who participated in Vacation Bible School, either by being present or with your prayer support if you were not able to be with us. We were blessed to have four men from Set Free join us. I thought they still lived in Phoenix, but they drove back and forth from Eloy each day to be with us. Eloy is not just around the corner, but they were a blessing to us, and I'm so grateful they could be here. There are two sign-ups in both lobbies, one for the movie lunch, which will be this Thursday at 1230, followed by the movie at 1. And you'll see on the back there, we will be viewing Sergeant York. Back of your bulletin, you'll notice that. The movie is free with popcorn and water, but if you want to come for lunch at 12.30, that's a cost of $5. We just need you to sign up. The second sign up is for the Men's Fellowship Breakfast, which will be on Tuesday, August 2nd. Frank Bush, who is the co-team lead for our men's ministry, will be speaker that day. You will also see in both lobbies the packets of information for the church conference, which will be this Wednesday at 4 p.m. There's one that's stapled together several pages with a yellow front, and then one that's right beside it with our financial report. So I encourage you to take one of each and come prepared after you've reviewed that for our church conference on Wednesday. Would you stand now in Betty Bush, who is the team lead for our women's ministry is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to thank you and praise you for who you are and how you work in our lives. And Lord, I just uh, ask that uh, you be with us this week as we go our ways and take to heart Dr. Kennedy's uh, message you are a God of second chances. And Lord, I just thank you that we can worship you and sing praises to your holy name. And I ask that you be with us this week. Keep us safe and bring us back next week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.